Well, as you're turning to Ephesians uh, 2 this morning, I just wanted to uh, start before I pray, because I'm going to pray specifically for the sermon. Um, I, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about... Let me get pages fired up here. I'm using new media this morning, so bear with me. just want to talk a little bit about the, the nature of uh, the sermon that... Um, I typically and will typically hear in, in this church expository preaching. And, and when we talk about expository preaching, we're talking about, uh, usually we're talking about working through a passage. And, and as the man is preaching each Sunday, he's working through a section and he is looking for the main idea in that passage. And, and that main idea of the passage becomes the main point of his sermon. And so he will endeavor to uh, explain that. He'll, he'll try to illustrate it. He'll try to apply it. But it's always, in expository preaching, he's always going to the Scriptures and letting the Scriptures speak. That's the normal way that we, we want to grow up in the Scriptures, the way we want to learn together as a body is through this, this method of working through Scripture and letting God speak. Uh, there are lots of other ways of preaching. And this morning, I'll be taking a topical approach. And, and there are pros and cons to all different ways. In a topical approach, you, you typically come with a topic that you're trying to teach about. I might be trying to teach about tithing or evangelism or prayer. And so we'll, we'll go to the Scriptures together and we'll, we'll look together at the breadth of Scripture and we'll, we'll pull out Scriptures and, and try to teach and, and, and help and grow on that topic. And this morning we're going to be looking topically at the, looking back at 2014. We'll be, we'll be looking at what God's been doing and trying to see what God's been doing in our midst uh, through a biblical frame, through a biblical lens. I want to share with you this morning about the church and about the nature of what God is doing. And so we don't want topical preaching necessarily to be a steady diet, but it's okay for these times to be, to be built up, uh, to, to focus on one particular issue. And so this morning we're going to be looking at that together. And I just want to uh, start with a word of prayer. God will give me grace to speak his word. Pray with me briefly. Father, we thank you for this word. And uh, we pray, God, that as we think together about the church and about this year, the way that you work and have been working and do work. I pray that you would just use this text in Ephesians and other scriptures that we'll look at today to encourage us and to, to draw our minds to truth, that we would see uh, things clearly and that I would speak clearly your words. Uh, Father, give me faith. Uh, give me faith to believe that you'll use these words and that they won't come back void, but they will accomplish their purposes in our hearts today. And I, and I pray that it would be to your great glory and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this, uh, there's this hidden camera TV show that our family has been watching recently whenever we can catch it. And, and in, the, in the show, it's, it's a hidden camera show, and, and it's kind of combined with a little bit of magic. There's this illusionist who's the, who's the main guy, and he sets up these situations in, in real-world places, and uh, he films the reactions of people. So in one episode we saw over Christmas, the guy comes in into a, like a UPS store, and, and the, the illusionist is the UPS clerk, and he, he walks up with this glass figurine that he wants to package and send somewhere. So they go through this whole routine of, of wrapping it in bubble wrap and taping it up secure, and he has them put it in the box, and he fills it with the packing peanuts, and everything's where it's supposed to be, and the lid closes, and then the tape goes on. And then they move over to the scale to weigh it, because you have to see how much it weighs. And, and they come back to the desk, and the figurine is sitting there. And the guy's just dumbfounded. He, he's looking at this thing, and he's like, and they go through this whole routine, and, and the guy, I don't know, is this the one that's in the box? No, we packaged it up, we saw it. So he opens up the box, he unwraps the bubble wrap, and it's not there. It's amazing. They go through the whole thing again. 
peanuts, tape over to the way, and they come back, and it's there again. And you're just, your mind is blown at this. It's, it's illusion, it's tricks, it's, it's camera work, it's angles, the whole thing's set up. But to the person experiencing it, it is mind-blowing. It's, it's an illusion. It, it's, everything's not adding up. They know something should be happening that's not happening, and, and they just can't figure it out. And, and if, if you were to interact with that guy, you wouldn't want to trust your eyes. You're watching it happen on TV, and, and, and you're thinking, don't trust your eyes. Don't believe what you're seeing. And, and, and this morning, I used that illustration to help us think about life, because life is a lot like that. We, we, we see things, and we perceive things, and things are happening, and we think we understand what's going on, and we think we have all of the data and all the information to draw conclusions. We, we see life through these natural lenses that God's given us, and that's good. But we know that it's limited as well. We know a lot of times there's a lot more going on in life and that we need Scripture, we need the Bible to illuminate these truths. We need to understand things from a godly perspective, a heavenly perspective. And so Christians come together and they study God's Word for that purpose. And that's what I want to do this morning. As we look back at Christ Church Rollsville, we look back at 2014, we want to think about what's been going on. And so I pose this question to you this morning. If a friend were to ask you, what's been going on at your church this year? What would you say as you think back on what's been happening here, those who have been worshiping with us for a while? What, what's going through your mind when you're trying to explain what's been going on at Christ Church Roseville this past year? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? And, and like that hidden camera show, there are things happening at, at multiple levels and things that we don't understand. And and if you were just to tick off some of those first things that come to mind, a lot of the time it's the difficult things that come to mind, at least in my experience. It's, um, you know, Daniel having left, uh, other families having left. Uh, we, we think of those difficult things. Maybe it's a difficult interaction that you've had in the church this year, a, a difficult situation, uh, a, an unresolved conflict. Uh, maybe there has been some slight or misunderstanding or maybe just some sort of uncomfortableness, or, or maybe you've des- desired to grow more spiritually, and you're just not satisfied. You, things aren't happening the way that you thought they would, and all of these things can, can cause a certain shift in our perspective, and we can think certain things about the church and about what God is doing. And, and just like that unsuspecting star of our hidden camera show, uh, we sift through this information, this data, and we, we draw our conclusions and we see with our eyes and we analyze, but are we seeing all the facts correctly? And so this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 2 and see beyond what we can just see with our eyes. We are going to try to see things from a heavenly perspective and see what God is up to. And then we're going to go back and think about that question again. I'm going to ask you again. What has been God, God been doing in our midst in 2014? So let's look at Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer... Strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, these, these verses up here in a, in a larger passage, starting around verse 11, uh, where Paul is explaining uh, to his Gentile listeners how it is that they are now full-fledged members of the household of God. So we've kind of dropped in the middle of this 
uh, story, this, this explanation. And, and so Gentiles, he's talking to Gentiles, are all those who are, who are not Jewish. And that would include most of us in this room. We would be considered Gentiles. And in verse 12, if you look at verse 12, early in the chapter, it tells us that, that we were considered outside of Israel. We we're outside the commonwealth. We're outside of the promises. We're outside of the life that is in God. We're outside and out of reach of this Jewish Messiah. We're Gentiles. It says we're strangers to the covenants and promises. And Paul's reminding them how far away they were once from God. They had no part in God, and and we had no part in God. We had no part in this Jewish Messiah. Our hope rested in, in pagan gods and idols. And in this larger passage, Paul's explaining how through Jesus... In his death on the cross, God has taken these two men, the, the Gentile and the Jew. He's taken these two men, and he's made one new man out of them. Verse 15 talks about this new man. In verse 19, where I began reading, we read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So those who are far off, the Gentiles, and those who are nearer, the Jews, have been brought together into this household of God. They are now fellow citizens. They, they've been made this new man. They've become Christians. They're now united together in this new body. They have this common head who is Jesus. And Paul goes on to say that this, this new community that God is building, this new community we call Christianity, is built on this foundation of the teaching of the apostles and the prophets of Jesus. He, we pick that up in verse 20. In fact, Jesus himself, all he said and all he taught, all of his teachings are are the cornerstone of this new faith, of this new people. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that this kingdom is established, that this dominion, that this reign takes place. It's through belief in this gospel that people enter the kingdom and become members of this new community. It's through the apostles and prophets that the early church was propagating the faith. And even this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians becomes part of the Holy Scriptures, becomes part of that teaching of the apostles and prophets. And that that brings us to verse 21, where he goes on to explain that not only is Jesus the very cornerstone and foundation to this new man that God has mysteriously created, that Jesus himself is the means by which we are growing into this holy temple. And so I just kind of give you the sketch of where we are in Ephesians. And if you look at the first two chapters of Ephesians, it's, it's really big stuff. It's, it's high. I mean, you're looking into, into heaven, and you're looking at these cosmic truths, things before time began. Paul is explaining uh, the will of God. God Paul is explaining these heavenly, this heavenly perspective that really is meant to shift his reader's perspective on the world that they're living in and what is going on in this world. For instance, if you were just to look at chapter Two, for another example, you know, starting in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, we, we learn that we're spiritually dead in our natural state. We're spiritually dead. We're, in fact, enemies of God, is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We're enemies of God. And, and if you were to ask the average person on the street about their relationship with God, if they think of anything about God, they would say, well, my faults aren't that bad. I, I don't have a problem with God. I'm sure he doesn't have that big of a problem with me. They, they would not think of themselves as enemies of God. And, and so you come to the scripture to see a, a true perspective and you learn, oh, I'm an enemy of God. I've sinned against God's holy nature. And Paul's explaining that. So the, these big concepts that Paul is unwrapping. But he drives down closer to home. He drives down. In our passage, 
He's talking about how God has included the Gentiles into this salvation. But I, what I want us to see is how quickly Paul is just going to bring this down. He's going to bring it right down for us in verse 22. He's going to draw it down to a specific group. He's speaking way up in the heavens, and then he's, he's painting these big pictures, but he's going to bring it down to the specific people living in the specific town in the specific time in history. Verse 22 says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And, and we know that Paul has shifted and is speaking directly to the Ephesians now because he uses uh, this term, in him you also. If you look over at chapter 1, uh, verse 13, he uses this same phrase. In that section, Paul's explaining how Paul has received this inheritance. And, and all those who have believed have received this inheritance that can't be taken away, this salvation. And then he says, in him you also. Let me read that. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You, you see, there was a specific time when the gospel was preached to these people in Ephesus. And there was a specific response, a specific time that they responded in faith when they received the Holy Spirit. And it really happened to, to those people. And it's the same way in verse 22. Paul is telling his listeners that they are becoming a dwelling place for God. God is working in their specific locality to create a people for himself. It's not just theory. It's not just a pretty thing. And that's what I want to drive across first. It, we, we, we talk about these things and it just sounds like so far away and and so otherworldly. I want us to understand that it's, it's here in our location, in our church, in, in real time, in real space, the Holy Spirit is making us a dwelling place. I want you to look at a couple of other examples. We, we don't want to have this idea that this is just Ephesus that God's talking about. Hold your finger in this passage and flip over to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Paul, again, is talking to another group of people in a different place, in a different city. There were evidently some f- factions going on. Some people said, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and I follow Peter, and, and Paul will have none of that. He ha- he'll have none of that. And he says, no, some plant and some water, but it is God that gives the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. God gives the growth. In verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers, talking about Peter and Apollos and Paul. You are God's field, God's building. So this image of building, he goes on to talk about how anyone that builds on this foundation, their works will be judged. And then later in verse 16, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? Remember, he's talking to this church in Corinth. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. He says virtually the same thing in our passage in Ephesians. God brings salvation to a person and then puts them in a local body. God seals that person with this Holy Spirit, and he's, but he's building this community. He's building this church that he desires to dwell in by his Spirit. One more example, flip the other way, go to 1 Peter. Let's see what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, that's as you come to Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up 
as a spiritual house. You, as living stones, are being built up into this spiritual house, into this, into this temple, into this church. Now, Peter is writing to some other, another group of people. He, he lists them off at the beginning of the letter, the elect exiles of the dispersion. And he lists all these cities. So he's, he's talking to this different group of people. So we see back in Ephesians 2, that when God is telling us that in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that's us, that's Christians, that's the church. So we're going to think about that. I'm going to draw three points out very quickly as we walk through verse 22. My first main point is that God is the one that is building the local church. When you look back on 2014, I want you to be thinking that God is the one here building the local church. It was the same in Ephesus, and it's the same here. God is doing the work now. Look, notice the, the, the passive language of the verse. You are being built together. It, it's something that's happening to you. We aren't the ones in charge of building the church, thankfully. Uh, I'm not making it happen. And you're not making it happen. We don't have that kind of power. The power to make things grow rests with God. We are beneficiaries of God's activity in building this church. We do have a part to play, yes, and we'll get to that in a moment, but I want you to see clearly that God is building the church. This is happening uh, to them. And a moment ago, I posed that question, what, what do you think has been happening this year at church? And, and did you naturally think, well, you know, God's growing his church. He's making us a dwelling place for his spirit. Uh, I confess that I don't naturally think that way. That's not what I, I gravitate towards. I, I gravitate towards the problems and the difficulties and the setbacks. And we have to refresh our mind in the truth. We have to uh, take stock. I want you to take stock of your own answers to that question and, and think about wh- where your mind is and how you think about truth. It's an opportunity for us perhaps to, to repent of unbiblical thinking or assumptions or the way that we uh, think about the world. We need to be moving more scripturally. Uh, the second idea, the, the first idea that God is building the church, the second idea that I draw out from this verse for us today is that we are being built together. We are being built together. It's a building that has form and function. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this metaphor of us being the temple of God. It's a, it's a building that has form and function. It isn't a set of bricks. You drive by a construction site and there's a set of bricks sitting there still in their binding. They just got laid off the truck and it's sitting there. That's, that's not a building. And it's not a bunch of scattered bricks laying all around. The, the verse says that we were being built together. God is this master builder, and he's creating a church where he's building this church out of living stones, First Peter says. We are those stones, and our lives are touching together. We are joined together in a, in a local fellowship, and the bonds that join us together are supposed to be deep bonds. I just want you to think about this for for a second. Your life and your life and your life and your life and my life are are supposed to be joined together. That is what God is doing. Each person, each single, each couple, each family. Uh, This idea of uh, of being joined together is really critical. It is essential for us to get that God desires us to be together, to be a dwelling place for his spirit. The church is critical for the purposes of God. Strong, healthy fellowships where the Spirit of God dwells is his intent and his desire, and it is his desire that we would be built together. So just at a surface level right now, 
just off the cuff as you think about your togetherness and in thinking about how you have been striving to be together with this fellowship, to, to have your life be with their lives. I'd like to just have you think about some, some diagnostic questions, just in way of application of trying to think, well, how together are we? How much do I strive after that? Maybe at, a, at, a, at a some level you could just think, well, how well do I know the people in this church? Do I know their names, the names of their children, where they work, what, what they do for fun, what their family's like? And, and if you don't know some of those facts, and oh, I don't even know that guy's name or the name of his kid or where he works, then that's probably indicative that you haven't had many conversations. And if you haven't had many conversations with the other people in this church, then maybe you're not out there enough having conversations. So it's a, it's a kind of a diagnostic to say, well, let me take stock. Where, who do I really know here? And, and, and how together am I? And, and am I applying myself to be together? Now, maybe you've got all that covered and, and you need some deeper questions. I was thinking about prayer, how much we pray for each other. And, and do we know the prayer concerns of the different people in this church? If you were to sit down and wanted to pray a little more deeply for someone, would you even know what to pray for them? And so that takes intentionality. It takes desire. We have to go after each other and learn about each other. And so that's this idea that to be a real effective body where God's spirit is going to be dwelling, we have to understand that God is building us together. Our lives are supposed to mesh and interact. If we think of ourselves as, um, if we think of church as just as an obligation, I, just, I have to go to church, or if we think of it more as a club or a civics organization, we're never going to get to that place of deep fellowship where God's spirit is pleased to dwell. It's, it's that half-hearted thinking that's not going to make the church thrive. We need to be thinking intentionally of the fact that God's desiring to build us together. God is, in fact, building us together, and we want to be part of that. We want to share our lives together. Uh, my last observation from this verse is that God desires to dwell with his people. It's just that. God desires to dwell with his people. The verse says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are God's building. And verse 16 said, we are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in us. Now, we've been celebrating this truth all Christmas, right? We have been thinking about Emmanuel. That verse in Isaiah, that prophecy about Jesus, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that Emmanuel means God with us. And, and Nick Lingle came and preached to us about how Christ had to come and take on flesh, and how he delivers us from the power of the enemy, delivers us from death, and how he is our, our great high priest. But there's another way in which God is with us. It's here, see, in verse 22, God desires to dwell, a place for his spirit to dwell. It might be helpful to, to draw a parallel here to illustrate this point. Back in chapter 2, we talked about the fact that we're dead in sin. Before we come to Christ, we're dead in sin, and, and we need God to enliven us spiritually so that we can be spiritually alive to God. And we know from chapter 1 that God gives us the spirit says that that's the guarantee of our, our inheritance in heaven. So God gives us his spirit. He makes us alive. Uh, the, the body, we are dead spiritually unless God's spirit lives in us. 
But friend, if the Spirit of God does not live in you, then you have no part in Christ. If you have no part in Christ, then you are still dead in your sins. And likewise, if God's Spirit were not to dwell here, we would cease to be a holy temple. God's dwelling with us is what makes us an alive church. God's Spirit makes us holy. It's His holiness that that we receive from Him. If His Spirit does not dwell in us, then we are no different than a, a civics club, a fraternity. It's God's Spirit dwelling in us that makes us alive. So my, my third point is simply that God does indeed dwell in His church by His Spirit. He's building us together for this very purpose. It is His intention to fill every church that honors Him with His Spirit. And this isn't something that we can see with our natural eyes. If we go back and think about our illustration, it, it takes spiritual perception to understand and to believe and to know that God's Spirit dwells with His people. This is the way that God works and the way that he is working among us even here at Christ Church. And so given that, I want to return to our original intent of looking back at this year with a slightly different question. What has God been doing here? I know a lot's happened here. I know a lot of it has been tough. What was God's purposes in 2014 and and did it happen? Is it happening? Has God been thwarted? I think we're a little more equipped now looking at Ephesians 2.22 to answer that question from a biblical perspective. What is the church? It's, it's a holy temple that God is building using ordinary living stones that he has redeemed through Christ. And he's putting these stones together into a place that his spirit is pleased to dwell. You see, God's purposes aren't so easily thwarted. His purposes can be accomplished through suffering and loss. We, we don't have to be a grand, flashy church. We don't, we don't have to do or be anything in particular. It doesn't depend on us. There is work for us to do, and I'll speak to that in a moment, but it doesn't depend on us. God does the essential things. He does the decisive things. God is always moving, and he does all things well. So I would say, yes, we're on track I would say we're on track. And I see evidence that we are indeed being built together as a church, a dwelling place for His Spirit. So with just with the time remaining, I want to look back briefly at two main areas that I have seen God moving. And just take a moment from my perspective as an elder, at looking at the body and what God is doing in light of this scripture, in light of some other things that we'll look at in Ephesians, and, and give you my perspective. First thing, where God's Spirit dwells, whether it's a Christian or in a church, we would expect to see evidence. We would expect to see spiritual fruit, this fruit of the Spirit that God talks about. And if we see evidence of that fruit in our church body, it would be an indicator that God indeed is working and dwelling among His people. Turn with me uh, one page over to Ephesians 4. Following the first three chapters of Ephesians where Paul is laying out these big theological truths, these big blocks. He, he drives more deeply and more practically, and he, he gets very practical in chapter 4, and he starts with this text about how we're to treat one another in this church body. We start reading in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
reminds us of the, the work of the Spirit in the Christian's life in Galatians 5. I was flipping to that earlier, thinking about how in Galatians 5, it, it, we get this exhortation to walk in the Spirit and to, to bear fruit of the Spirit, to, let the, to keep in step with the Spirit and not to do the works of the flesh. And so we, we know that when the Spirit of God is sanctifying us, we'll, we'll see this same kind of fruit. We'll see uh, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. Paul's saying the very same thing here in the context of our local fellowship. We should expect to see this kind of fruit. So this is our part. God is building the church. He is decisive. The work does depend on God. He gives the growth to his body. But we also must walk in a manner worthy of the calling. God is at work, but the corollary is that we must work. We must, like Jesus, be doing the works of our Heavenly Father. And I want to encourage you today that I have seen evidence that God is producing this kind of fruit in our body. Look again at verse 2. How are we to walk? In humility, in gentleness, with patience, with loving forbearance, with eagerness to preserve our unity in the gospel, in the bond of peace. And without going into a lot of specifics, I can testify that I have seen this kind of humility at play in our members. I've seen it being exercised. I saw it displayed in very trying meetings, in meetings with, with Daniel during our transition with meetings, as, as Lindsay and I have met with different families here, I've seen humility on display. When I've had conversations with folks about the things they're experiencing in their family life, I've seen an openness to correction. I want to encourage you in that. You have been open to correction. I've seen a readiness to listen. You've given thoughtful consideration and and your speech often has been measured. I've seen humility in my own care group life. I've seen it demonstrated in in the pastor search team meetings that I've been a part of. This great humility. And we have to have these qualities in increasing increasing measures for our fellowship to thrive. In short, we must continue to strive to love one another. And hopefully, like me, you can testify that you've been seeing this fruit in your interactions with the body. I have seen it. I've seen evidence that the congregation is learning how to serve one another, how to lay down their own rights and and seek to serve another, to burden themselves, to put themselves out, to put someone else's needs first. I've seen you grow in this. I've seen you bake meals and visit in the hospital, sacrificing your time Sunday after Sunday to be here, to, to set up, to help our service. I've seen you linger after the service and fellowship, asking questions of one another, counseling one another. I've seen you praying for one another. I know that folks are meeting outside on Sunday morning for meals and coffee. I know that you're seeking to get to know each other. So there is definitely evidence of God's Spirit at work building us together to be a dwelling place for His Spirit. What about you? These are things that I've seen and can testify to that fruit that I've seen. But what about you? As you examine your own heart, do you see evidence that God was at work in you this past year to love the body? Do you see moments of, of humility, uh, a striving to see yourself as the, the least, 
So we were studying in, in Philippians together in chapter 2. Were you, were you eager to grow in a, in a deeper sense of togetherness? Did you seek peace? Uh, when you were offended this year, did you seek a restoration? Uh, when you sinned against someone, did you seek reconciliation? Did you repent? Did you walk that out? If you can see growth and change in some of those areas, then praise God. That should result in us in a, in a praise to God. You are being built together with the other members of this body. And if you did see growth, or if you didn't see as much growth as you want, then we look to Paul's urging us, a, a command to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. I think we're really used to seeing spiritual fruit, or thinking about spiritual fruit in the context of, of individuals, uh, individual sanctification. But as we're being sanctified, it, it's happening in the context of this community. You don't typically have to be patient unless you're with someone else doing something. And, and when you're in a church setting, often it would require patience. And so we see this process of sanctification, this fruit-bearing happening in community. God is, God is building us together in this sanctification, becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts and in our, in our deeds. It's going to have a sanctifying effect on the whole body. It should have a sanctifying effect on the whole body. We should be able to see spiritual gifts on display in greater in greater ways as we continue to mature as a body. Second and last major area that I want to look at for evidence and confirmation that God is indeed uh, building this church is the giving and exercising of spiritual gifts in the church. Look a little further in chapter 4. Look a little further at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And continuing a little further down in verse 11, He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Christ will give gifts to his church for its upbuilding. Christ will give gifts to his church for its upbuilding. And I see all kinds of gifts on display here every week. All the gifts, all the gifts that Christ gives to the church are important for the building up of the body. Paul goes into links to explain that to each of, uh, about each gift in 1 Corinthians 12. You can just jot that down and look at it later. He, he says, if we're all eyes, then where would the sense of hearing be? Or uh, where would the sense of smell be, I think is what he says. Uh, the point is that we need all the gifts. All the gifts are important. What he draws our attention to in Ephesians, though, is this gift of, of shepherding and teaching. If you look at verse 11, and as, if you think all the way back to the beginning of 2014, it would be easy to see how blessed we were when we had a pastor teaching us. He was exercising his gifts of teaching. But in God's, God, in God's kind providence, he has given CCR an elder team, and he's given us capable teachers. And while I'm, I know that I'm the least of those teachers, we have been blessed these past four months. It's been four months. We've been blessed. We've been fed solid biblical food. And, and the body that he desires to dwell in he also desires to build up. He's going to build it up with his word. He's going to build it up through the teaching. So, so the church absolutely must have under shepherds and teachers. We must continue to rely on God's word, the preaching of God's word. God has revealed himself in his word and, and we are called to know it. We're called to love it. We're called to obey it. We're called to teach it. Again, we can look back in 2014 and see that God has provided. 
Uh, many gifted men from our congrega- congregation have, have stepped up to preach. We've been working our way through the letter to the Philippians, and God has also provided other preachers from Christ's covenant and other places. And so God has provided, but, but so much of the teaching has come from this church, and it's, it's a great mark of God's grace. And so I want to just pause and thank God. It's a gift of his kindness to build up the church for the work of the ministry. Week after week during this year, we have worked our way through a lot of scripture. I went back clicking through the website because I couldn't remember it all. We, we started the year thinking about uh, singing. Daniel did a, a series working through Psalms, and we thought together as a congregation about singing. What is singing, and how does it bring glory to God? We, we worked through First uh, Timothy in a series called The Church, God's Design. More recently, we've preached through our mission statement. We've begun preaching through Philippians. There have been smaller series around Easter and Christmas. There's been a lot of good teaching that we've been able to, to share together. But we should ask ourselves, how engaged are we in that teaching? That's, that's the point of conviction for my own soul. It takes a lot of work for me to remember a sermon much past the afternoon it was preached. I don't know, blame my old age, blame Google, I don't know what it is, short-term memory loss. But it takes a lot of work for me to, to chew on and feed on and, and eat the Word, to, to consume it. But what would it look like if we were all profiting together from the preached Word? What would it look like to take a, a few notes, discuss the sermon over lunch or care group? These are just ideas I want to seed your mind with for this coming year uh, what if we were to review parts of the sermon in our own quiet time? What if we were to dedicate ourselves to examining our lives in light of the preached word and make corrections, repent and, and change as God would lead us? Why am I saying all this? You can read the Bible on your own. You, you can have your own quiet times. So you can listen to, to sermons online. I'm saying that in the context of the local church, we want to gather together under the preached word, and then as a group, as a family, we want to take that word in and be changed by it. It should have this building and maturing effect on the entire body. And that is going to take some work. I know it's going to take more work on my part. It is going to take more work on my part, more dedication to think about and apply and remember and ruminate on God's word, to let it have that effect in my heart. Uh, But in a year from now, when we look back at, at 2015, in a year from now, how do we want to have applied ourselves to the preaching ministry of this church? God's word is the food of the church. We are given life-sustaining meals every week. Let's take advantage of that. Let's be part of applying ourselves diligently to, to, to learning from together God's word. So in conclusion, I just want to wrap this up. In, in conclusion, I propose this morning that we should be very encouraged that, that God is indeed with us. I take great encouragement that God is the one that's building the church, that God is the one that's desiring us to be together. He accomplishes it. He does all things well. God desires this to be a place for his spirit to dwell. I've, I've seen evidence of that, of us growing in our ability to love one another and our ability to, <clears throat> to live together in Christian community. And I've seen evidence of it in just the way that God has sustained us. He has given us food and he's carrying us along and giving us strength in the leadership that we, we need to live. I want us to be very encouraged when we look back at 2014, and and when those questions come about what God has been doing in the life of the church, or when you ask yourself or think, I think 
I would like for you to think first that God is in control and that he is building up the church and that he is building us together and that his plans cannot be thwarted. Let's pray together. I'll call the worship team up now as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We give great praise and blessing to you. We thank you that you are building us together, that you are in control, that you are glorifying yourself, glorifying your son Jesus, who is the head of the church. He laid his life down and shed his blood for the saints. We count it a great joy to be counted in that number, to be known by God. And to have you dwell among us, Father, it is amazing. And we praise you and thank you for all that you have done. And as we pray together, we pray that you would do many more mighty things in our midst, transforming us from glory to glory, making us more into the image of your Son, maturing us, Father, as a fellowship, that our love for each other would abound more and more, that we, Father, would grow up in the knowledge of Christ, and that we would grow up into knowing how great his love is for us, that we would know the power that is towards us in Christ Jesus. We're so glad and grateful, Father, that you have been with us and walk with us. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.